Hello and welcome back to Reeling in the Piers. My name is Gary O'Brien and this is where I get some of my very good friends on to chat and discuss about all kinds of movies. And joining me today, it's Daniel Brown and he's here to talk about the 2011 action drama Drive. So stick around, we hope you enjoy Mr. Daniel, how are we? How's it going? Thanks for having me on. Ah, it's a pleasure. You're one of uh, you. You probably hold the record uh, amongst all the guests I've had on in that I've known you the longest. Well, that would make sense because you've known me since I was born. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, we are in the like much like Vin Diesel and uh, any of the characters from the Fast and Furious movies. We're family. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> a Fast and Furious <laughs> reference right off the bat. Okay. <laughs> So, so for, yeah, so Daniel is uh, my cousin, and you studied film in TUD, and you're finished. Formerly DIT, yeah. So you 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 uh, you know lots about films. You've good taste in movies. Uh, you picked this one f- for starters. So you def- So note to self, Gary: no Fast and Furious references. No, I wouldn't say that. I think um, <laughs> I just didn't think that would be the first one. Uh, Fast and Furious <laughs> off the bat was was a bit of a a bit of a. A whirlwind, but no, yeah. Oh, I so I should it. probably put down this bottle of Corona I prepared <laughs> before. Corona, lime, family, and cars. That's you know an apt description of drive at times. Exactly, and that is the that is the movie we're talking about today. Um, so you you came to me with this one. What what made you pick Drive? Really, it's because I've been obsessed with it since I've wanted to do film. Um, so I wanted to do film practically as uh, professionally. Um, since around third year, fifth year, so around like 13, 14, 15 years old. Um, and Drive was always this film that I knew was this like film school, film student like club, as in like if you were into Drive, you could be, you could be a film student. Um, so actually when I was younger then I hated it because I thought that every film needs to be engaging and interesting, like, a, like everything had to be Tarantino practically, everything had to yeah. be Reservoir Dogs. But... Um, it wasn't until around the first year of college that I decided to like really get into art house cinema, which would, this yeah. would be considered that. Um, and yeah, I just fell in love with it generally due to Ryan Gosling, the direction. You like a bit of synth wave, do you? Well, that's another thing. <laughs> this, I think, kickstarted a huge synth wave movement. And we'll probably get into that later about the like influences that this film has ever since it came out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the soundtrack, we'll definitely get onto that. We'll definitely have to talk about that. Um, nearly everything. I think it's just one of those films that it came together perfectly, as in director, actors, theme, mood, vibe, soundtrack, everything, editing, just came together perfectly. Um, and it's it's definitely in the top five of my te- favourite films. Um, I, 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 I'd never seen it before. I don't know if I told you that. I, I'd never seen it before. And I was like, oh... It's I'll, madness I'll that you run a podcast about film without have seen Drive. <laughs> look, there's a many a movies I haven't seen. You're gonna hate the Thursday uh, 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 podcast if, if you when you hear that I watched that movie before Drive. But yeah, it's. Uh, I'm very glad you suggested it, and I I really enjoyed it. So I think it's one of those movies that you know people should definitely see before we get into it. But maybe just to give people a bit of a taste of what it is, like what what's this movie about that they're going to go off and listen to immediately. I say. Well, I would agree with you that I don't even think you needed a synopsis to watch this film. I think it's just one of those films that you just get recommended and immediately watch. But for the stragglers who are making their minds <laughs> up, um, Drive is an American action drama 
Um, action may be overstepping the term. Yeah. Um, but it follows a man named the driver only. He does not have an actual name. Um, basically, he is a stunt driver for Hollywood action films. Um, but he moonlights as a getaway driver. So he... It nearly very the, the first line of dialogue is practically I have you have me for five minutes, no minute before, no minute after. He doesn't carry a gun, he drives. Um and that's what he does. And then it's the kind of devolution of his life from a stoic hero, um getaway driver, like anti hero, um, mm-hmm. um into the crime world. He kinda of gets it mixed in with um some gangsters, some mobsters, while also this relationship with a neighbor played by Carrie Mulligan, which kind of gets, which really complicates things when his uh, ex convict husband comes back home. I don't want to really give any more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that's... All, all I'd say is that you're in for oh, one hell of a ride, really. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think, is that not, is that not the tagline of one of those Fast and Furious movies now that I think about it? I want to say that this and a Fast and Furious had the same tagline. This and I, this and No Country for Old Men, men had the same yeah. tagline. Definitely which was, No um, Country for Old Men. No is clean definitely, getaways. Def, definitely not a Fast and Furious film. No Country well, for Old Men. It's I, I and I have another thing I have here about this was that it gave apparently the way the trailer was cut made it look like it was one of those Fast and Furious movies, and uh, to the point where one woman had actually sued. Because it, this movie didn't contain as much action and driving as was kind of advertised. Well, when you watch it, that's true. As if you go back yeah. and watch the original trailers, it's all the engine revving and like quick turns and like violence. It really isn't that. That's like yeah. 20 minutes of the film. And the film's only an hour and a half. And yeah, it's, it's not it's, that it's, long. But I, yeah, and I, maybe something I'll get onto a bit later about some of the pacing of it. But I think, I think what doesn't. Uh, you're not prepared for when you go into it is just the lack of dialogue and the pauses and stuff and it makes it very tense to watch and you and you don't expect it when you have kind of such a thrilling opening with that sort of ch- like semi-chase scene and stuff and then you don't really see much driving after that um, um, I feel like that might be the point then when we discuss yeah, so, the opening so, yeah. I, so this will be me telling people go away watch Drive it's an hour and a half long it's on you can go watch it on YouTube it's two ninety nine to rent <laughs> It's definitely worth it. Right, opening scene, Daniel. Hit me with it. What are your prestigious, excellent, snobby movie thoughts? <laughs> um, well, I'll hit you with one right now. I think it's genuinely one of the best openings to a film ever. Agreed. Um, I think it rivals Touch of Evil, which I don't know if you've seen. It's, it's the Norson Wells. Uh, it's the ending of Noir, um, basically. That has okay. like a really like intricate opening sequence which is phenomenal. I think this is the best opening to a film since then. And that was in okay. the 50s, I want to say. Okay. Um, so yeah, it opens basically with the setup that I described earlier where he's on the phone saying, I only drive, you have me for this amount of minutes. Here we go. And in that hotel room that he's in, we see him mapping out the LA roads already. Um, the basketball game is on the television. Um, and him like throwing his phone is in like, he's very professional. He's not gonna call or like get another phone call he's like in this job and that's him for the night um but even just the opening with the map and the 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 tv it's already saying so much of how like methodical he is as a character without even having to 
say it. I think what this film really excels in is how much it says without saying anything at all. It really... Absolutely. It's a less is more film, and that less can really, I would say, irk people. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so he goes on this ride, he like parks up along this gate, two people are robbing this place we actually don't even know what they're doing it's just it doesn't even we we, we don't need to know and that's great and that's great like there's a and you know there's another heist later on in the in the movie and it's it's so it's so interesting because not many movies would ever focus on the guy waiting in the car outside like to not be focusing in on the you know the heist happening inside and i thought that was kind of interesting yeah what actually um we're re-watching it a couple of times before this um just quick po- a quick aside how many times have you seen this movie Oh, I don't know. I, don't, I, I would say it's over 15 at this point. Oh, and the wow. thing is, it's an hour and a half. It's not that yeah, long. That's, that's It'd be fair, different if this was a three-hour boring... That's like a Netflix film. season of The Crown, nearly. <laughs> like two episodes of The Crown, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was interesting, what rewatching it again, was you, re- you recently did Baby Driver. You, you talked about Baby Driver. Yeah. And the similarities between him waiting, putting his watch on the steering wheel, wrapping around, knowing that he only has five minutes, sitting there, and that's all it is. It's just him sitting there, looking around. You hear the basketball game from the original TV um, playing again. And the difference is night and day, really. Because he... Mm-hmm. Night and day in the sense that one set at night and one set at day. But also, <laughs> he just sits there, stoically, waiting. No nervousness on his face. Even when, like, the one guy comes in. Like, the, one of the uh, the robbers gets in and is, like, waiting on the second partner. And is really, really tense. Don't know where he's going to show up. Yeah. he's just sitting there looking around waiting for him that's all it is where in Baby Driver he's doing all these like tricks he's like mapping with the song and then like when the gunfights go off he's like really like shaking up and still ready to go and I think that says a lot about this film as in I feel like Baby Driver is kind of drive <laughs> with like a personality and that's not, that's not okay. the dampen drive it's to say that yeah. Baby Driver really is like an entertaining drive <laughs> yeah where this yeah, one is, um, sets the groundwork for it. But yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, he's driving them away um, from their robbery. He has a walkie-talkie relaying what the police are saying. Um, and previously we actually saw him picking up his car, which is just a silver Impala. He's just picking up the most boring, generic car. So when he's in the chase, the police are like, there's so many silver Impalas, it's going to be really hard <laughs> to figure out which yeah. one it is. Um, but yeah, the whole film is just, the ho- that whole opening sequence is just set to the song tick of the clock by the chromatics mm-hmm. um, and we'll get into the soundtrack later but that like just driving beat alongside him just driving and kind of ducking in and out of light away from the police and creeping up behind the police car at one point and the robber's like what the hell is this guy doing but he knows exactly what he's doing because it's the least last place the police are going to look is behind them he just turns yeah. off um, and then eventually gets spotted by the helicopter spotlight like going directly onto them and then it kind of kicks into gear. Um, but unlike other films, it stays within the car. Yeah. And it just stay, the camera stays in the passenger seat on the windscreen. We're with them on this entire car chase. Other, other, other films would cut to the, the helicopter shot or cut to the police view or like a big wide of like the two whizzing around corners. But no, it just holds you in there. And mainly, I think, uh, Nicholas Winden-Reffin, the director, admitted that it was due to budget constraints <laughs> that they didn't yeah. have like the money to set up all these um, sets. Fancy shots and stuff. Yeah. yeah, He just had two rigs. So one rig in the in the passenger seat and one rig along the outside of the car. 
and just maintained it in there. And the, the, the thing that I only learned recently is that he filmed this scene, the opening sequence, in two days. Two days, yeah. Two days. Really impressively, like, I want to say the opening to Baby Driver, that whole sequence into the parking garage, very similar in their, like, start to finish things. I said that's, that that probably took two weeks <laughs> to film. Yeah, like I, like, I think there's mad stuff about him, like, you know, doing the choreography for weeks and weeks and, and, you know, he was, like, strapped to the car and stuff like this, where with this movie, the director is, like, in there with a, with a mount held up, like, and it's great because I know he came out and said something. He's like, yeah, like... The, the idea of shooting it in the car was all like to emulate like the like a, like a diver in an ocean full of sharks mm. that you're kind of they're all you don't know where they are but they could be coming from any direction and I love that like you get that sense of feeling but then you hear oh yeah we just didn't have any money for anything else <laughs> and I think what this movie does with with the limited budget and when you like I was reading about it and the, all the stuff that they you know originally wasn't supposed to be in LA but yet they went there because it was cheaper to shoot there mm. But I honestly could, like, it's so hard to think of this movie being anywhere else but LA, yeah. like, after seeing it. And I just think I, he did so well with the resources he had. And what's interesting about that as well is that he isn't from LA. Um, he's a Danish director. Um, this is his second American film um, after Fear X in, like, 2003. So, like, nine years after that, he finally made Drive. And he had no idea what L.A. was like. He didn't know what it looked like. He didn't know what the vibe, the feel was. And he only knew that from driving around with Ryan Gosling in pre-production. Which is really impressive because I feel L.A. is such an important character in the film itself. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. You, you can't set it anywhere else. Um, so yeah, we follow him throughout the streets. Uh, eventually, like, in like unison with the radio, the basketball game like finishes up. Yeah. And so we timed that. The, at, when he was leaving his hotel room it was a half time and he times that the heist is going to finish right around uh, when uh, all the the crowds coming out of the stadium he just parks in t- comes out doesn't even talk to the robbers just leaves f- flips his like cool white scorpion jacket inside out <laughs> to the cool like navy side puts the baseball cap on and leaves and that says so much about him is that like he doesn't care what happens to them now they could get caught and it's not his fault like that, that's yeah. him done he got them away where they needed to be that's it he didn't take off those driving gloves though, and that was my thing. When I saw the, I was like, clearly no one's going to a basketball game with driving, with driving gloves. gloves on. Yeah. He, he's your man. Get him, pick him up. Also, he like sidesteps a policeman at the opening as well. Like, if you want to yeah. draw attention to him anymore, he's like sidestepping and like, <laughs> looks back like, oh shit. Um, and then we cut to the opening sequence, um, which again is alongside an incredible song Night Call by Kavinsky oh, I've been blaring that since I've watched it like it's, it's unreal it's unbelievable um, that, was original, that was actually the, the editor's um, idea um, to have this song in it but yeah the opening sequence is just city shots um, like from a helicopter um, like kind of dissolving into him driving around a nice city just with the music blaring and like Ryan Gosling and Drive coming up in hot pink, yeah. risky business pink is like what yeah. I found out it was inspired by. Um, it's just indulgent, like that two minutes. In a, yeah. it, your, your film is only an hour and a half long, and you're spending two minutes showing what actors and like what they do. That's all you're doing to a yeah. to a really really good song, but it just works. And it, it and this film really just is not. There's no better example of us having the balls to do that type of thing to yeah. let it breathe and let it just yeah he's just going to drive around the night um, to this fucking banger of a tune <laughs> and it's going to work and it's going to be iconic because that song has like nearly a quarter of a billion streams on Spotify or something oh, wow. like that it, this song this film really brought that song 
um, uh, and, and just and an interesting thing just a like it's something I took from it and I, I you know this for me I'm a big fan of James Bond movies and mm-hmm. though I wouldn't say this is a James Bond movie in, <laughs> in many regards what I kind of felt though was it has that same format in a way in that like you have your high you have your high speed kind of thing at the beginning and then you have like your James Bond theme song and it's kind of what I took from it is like that's the same structure and that like this whole two minutes was like a James Bond theme like where it's, they've just yeah. shown all the credits they're just playing the song and it's kind of interesting because that synth wave that's in that song, although it's not the same song played throughout, that element stays in it, and it's like that same riff throughout. And I was like, "This is like, this is like, is this is Ryan Gosling James Bond? He's not. He's 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 so much more violent." Um, but I think this this would be a good point. Um, you were talking about Ryan Gosling and stuff. So, I, like, what do you think about him in the in this role then? Like, what, what I think this really showed off what he's going to become over the next decade, like okay. from 2011. So he obviously had Half Nelson and like Fracture and a lot of other good films. And The Notebook. He had a lot of performances already under his belt. I really wish people went straight from The Notebook to this. Like I, I just <laughs> so hope it just to see that harsh that turn. Happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he wanted to be attached to an action film. Um, so he took on the script um, when he was approached by a studio. Um, this film was actually originally meant to be directed by Neil Marshall and have Hugh Jackman as the yeah. uh, the lead. Neil Marshall, who directed The Scent, a fantastic horror film. Then he went on to like do not the best work and then end up doing that terrible 2019 Hellboy film. So I'm kind of oh, like, did he do that? Jesus. <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> glad that this didn't get into his hands. And Hugh Jackman, I just don't think would work. Hugh Jackman's too no. He's too charismatic he... just by sitting there. But Ryan Gosling, yeah, and it'd be play. too like. It'd be too like Logan, but doesn't speak as much. Like he'd be too much like Wolverine. He'd be like you would just think he's trying to do Wolverine. I'd feel from it. Yeah, and I- but I hadn't seen much Gosling before this, and I would say this was like not against what he would usually do, but it's probably the most unique of his performances t- to that point. Um, be, I think it definitely put him that? on like the leading man hero map. I want to say, as okay. in like he can hold the film on his own, and. It kind of led to like a lot of films in the next like ten years of him being there and not really saying much. Like yeah. in like First Man, for instance, he basically plays the same character where he kind of just says very few words but brings so much to the role. And yeah. so yeah, he he was the one who actually connected Nicholas Winding Refn to this project. Okay, cool. the director, um, and then everything else fell into place then. But he just has this really creepy energy to him. Oh. It's... Like he's so warm at times, though, as well. As in the bit when he's like fixing the car and having those like I like the the blinking contests with Benicio, yeah, in like the elevator and the, and 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 uh, the dealership, and then bring them home and like that beautiful beautiful sequence when they're driving through the L.A. flood um the flood tunnels. Not the yeah, flood the, tunnel, I don't know what they're called. We don't I don't know the bit the bit in GTA. <laughs> that's yeah. what I just recognized that. Um, with like with the song playing, like he looks. Like he's very happy, which is again to the character, is new to him. He's yeah. used to being the cold, violent, like gets what he needs to get done type character. And then this woman, Irene, and her son Benicio, kind of open him up. Um, so Irene that, is Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. And, uh, Benicio is like her kid, and basically, like they meet, and the like. Bef- they this is before the kind of the ex-con husband kind of shows up into the picture yeah they're next door neighbours and like she gets she's kind of shown at the start in like the, the sequence and he kind of just sets up that they're neighbours um, and it's not till he like fixes their car that they kind of start to like hang out 
Um, mm. But yeah, he like, you see all this warmth in him, and then you get to that diner shot sequence where he's just eating pie by himself, and a guy clocks him and walks over to him and like, hey man, like, we did a job together. You drove my brother, and like, he's he's he was in jail and he died, and I did twenty three or five years or something like that. And then like he just like turns very coldly, he's just like, how about you stop talking or I'll kick your teeth down your throat and shut it for you. And you're like, oh my god. And then he goes back with Irene yeah. and all that, and he's warm again. And I, mm. I, I don't know how many actors can actually do that realistically and, like, yeah. believably. Um, he does it in many other films as well. Uh, Ryan Gosling does have a talent for that. But that's not to say that he's the only good actor in this film. I think everyone yeah. who's cast in this film brings their A-game. There's not really a couple on screen that says so little to one another, yet it's so believable that they're into each other than Irene and the driver. Absol- absolutely. They probably share, like, 20 lines between each other. But you already believe it. Like, most of their films would do all those shots of them looking longingly at each other and, and, and thinking about one another and also put dialogue onto that. Mm. Where this film goes, you know what? They're going to say a few things. They're going to look at each other all the time and kind of awkwardly laugh at one another and, and joke around and smile. That's all it needs to be. There, Granted, there is a scene where a song plays called Under Your Spell, which basically spells out their entire like <laughs> like I can't eat I can't sleep I can do nothing but think of you but because we've only had those looks and glances and stares that makes it believable if you had dialogue on top of that it, it would be grotesque and too yeah. lovey-dovey yeah. um and against the character as well because like like he only says uh, I have it here he only speaks 116 lines in the whole movie that's 891 words that's all he says in this movie like as the leading man and I was kind of saying it to the to my flatmates when I was watching here. It's just, it's all the things they don't say, I find. Do you know what I mean? Like all the times they look at each other and they're not saying anything. That's when you feel their connection the most over what they're saying, which I really loved. And one thing which I was hinted to earlier when it comes to the pacing, the timing, I think everything lasts one second longer than it should. And I loved it. <laughs> every look is, too, but like every look is too long. Every pause is too long. Like one, like one second, maximum long. The the scene in the elevator, the doors close one second later than they should. Stuff like that, that <laughs> yeah. I just really loved the, the, the unnervingness of it all, but in the sense when it's trying to create tension, but when it's trying to show how much these two characters love each other and care for each other, um, because like when you think about it and just skipping ahead slightly in that like when Oscar Isaac comes home um, Carrie's uh, Mulligan's character's husband I'm very bad at remembering character names Irene's husband um, what's his name Standard Gabriel St- Standard Gabriel yeah because she says that and the, he says they actually describe their their meet up for the first time and then she mm. like her joke that is creepy her joke like is like um, where's the deluxe version because his name oh. is Standard um, <laughs> which I did to be fair it took me a while to get and I didn't understand yeah. why his name was Standard for a while but um... okay I'm going to call him Stanny G <laughs> <laughs> so when uh, Standard Gabrielle comes back um, you wouldn't think based on the dialogue if you were to look at the script you'd be like well why why does she care more about you know the driver than her husband like this makes no sense but it's it's in the performances of the looks and and all and the silence that just I think grows their connection so strongly that they don't they didn't need to have to discuss that she's like oh I want to leave my husband and run away with you that's not said but it's just it's felt it's already implied from what we've seen and like as you're saying like just before that when he actually comes back they have that like not a date but they're just driving around together and she's just like my husband that was my husband on the phone he's coming home in a week's time 
Yeah. And then there's just like 20, 25 seconds of them just looking back and forth of just like sadness and defeat. Like they're just defeated. But they don't they don't say it. They're just like, he's annoyed that that's happening. She's annoyed that that's happening. And you can tell that the two of them are just broken about it. Um, and again, Standard Gabrielle, played by Oscar Isaac, is one of those characters which I, I don't know whether I sympathize for or I really wish would gets what's what does come to him <laughs> and I, I where yeah i agree i just there was one line that stood out to me that i was like no this guy's a bit of a creep when he was like oh I, uh, how do i ever tell you about how i met your mother yeah so i went up to her at this party and like what were you like 19 she was like i was 17 and I, and she says it it's such like i was underage kind of vibes and stuff and then she's like oh and then he's like oh we had you one year later which means that like she they yeah. would have slept together when she was like 17 18 or like still underage and he just tells it as like a funny story in front of a stranger i'm like oh that's a creepy creepy vibe you're giving off there mate so that's the point where i was just like yeah you're probably not a decent dude yeah so originally we find out that standard gabrielle um is a convict we know that she's he's in prison from irene so when he comes back literally like the day after he comes back um he gets beat up um and the the crooks give a bullet to the son and basically saying you had protection money in prison we're going we're gonna to need it so then we know that standard's going to need to get into a job and the driver is going to help um i will just say we have very much um gone over one of my favorite characters in the film and um, just because he hasn't actually come up yet but shannon shannon brian cranston played by brian cranston who was uh after gosling was like the first person that referenced one of the cast um and this is normally this is kind of where the book and film really divert and oh yeah so this was this was based on a book i, I suppose we forgot to mention that up top <laughs> yeah what was the book called I've it's no a drive yeah it's the same oh drive yeah, yeah. it's by james salas Um it was a weird choice to actually adapt the film uh, the book because okay. the book um is really just a, a small like, crime tale flashbacks and stuff like it's all it's, it's not told very linearly is it no yeah it's a completely like non-linear like narrative um so the the, the writer uh armano oh i have his name here somewhere what do you mean you don't know it off off the top of your head? Oh, I Jesus. I mean, Fucking yeah. hell. Hussein Amini, he, he wrote it. He found it very difficult to actually adapt the book. Um, and this is where it kind of diverts in a sense because Shannon is kind of an amalgamation of the three father figures that the driver has in the book. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, uh, so Shannon, uh, there's Manny, Doc and Shannon. So Shannon in the book is just a stunt driver who helps okay. the driver and then there's Manny the screenwriter and Doc who kind of helps him when he's like hurt like uh, like fixes him like as a doctor okay um, but Shannon does all those things really <laughs> we kind of see him yeah. doing everything um, but yeah he's played by Brian Cranston and he kind of just runs the make the uh, garage we say garage he actually says something um, the chop shop I don't know what yeah. they call it I think shop. he said I work at the garage so he actually he does say garage but we say garage not garage um, he um walks with a limp because we find out that he uh, had a debt to pay to the mob and, and kind of got into some bad shit so he bro- they broke his pelvis um, but it's great because you kind of assume that's that's just a stunt driver because he kind of he's a stunt driver he like fixes cars you just imagined just, oh yeah that's what that happened but like he just injured it that way no, uh, no. yeah but like there's way more shadier reasons so Shannon's art kind of comes from uh, he's basically the father figure for the driver and kind of looks after him 
um, on stunts, like getting like, oh, I want you to do a flip here. Um, if you do, you get an extra like five hundred. You get an extra five hundred dollars, but remember that split. Like they, they're like a, they're like a duo. Um, so yeah. his whole thing is that he wants to take the driver and put him into a, a stock car, and race them around the tracks, um, to make loads of money. So that's his, that's his plan. Um, as we know that he's his plans don't not generally go to plan, and that's why yeah. he ended up with a broken pebbles in the first place. Um, but he goes to Bernie, who's uh. I think I think out of everyone, Albert Brooks is wonderfully played by Albert Brooks, and, it, and it's, it's Which, such a strange choice, isn't it? Because I know him as um, like Nemo's dad from Finding Nemo, and that's what I associated the voice with. I was like, oh, he'll be a fun-loving character, and no, he is. He is much the opposite. Yeah, he he's like this like really intense, old school mobster who's yeah. just like, oh, you made a mistake, right? we're gonna fucking kill you and whoever you told like that's like that's because he just feels that's yeah. what has to be done um, yeah but basically uh, Shannon goes to him to um, get the money for a stock car because he needs like I think it's like 400 grand but then Bernie gives him like 300 and like 60 or something like that um, so that's how they get involved and that's how they meet the driver but then on like the flip side of that we find out that he's involved with Nino um, who ends up being involved with Cook who then is the one who's kind of manipulating uh standard gabrielle to do this robbery to get the money yeah so it's, it is a circle but it's so well told that the characters that can't know about each other don't know about each other and what they're yeah. into um and that's i think another reason why it's so great is because it keeps the cast super small but uses them to like complete effect like everyone has their two or three scenes within the film that like makes their character yeah because it's 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 such a big cast and when I was watching the, the, the two minutes intro we were talking about earlier and I kept seeing all these names because I don't really like to look too much into a movie if I haven't seen it before I watch it uh, just so I can be pleasantly surprised. So one of the first notes I have written down here is Brian Cranston because I did not know he was in this. Because um, when you think about it as well, 2011, that would have been like Breaking Bad. Yeah. Like peak Breaking Bad. So like they like... They, I feel like he could have got whatever movie he wanted. This and Godzilla, obviously. But he obviously, but like mm. this, obviously, must have attracted him quite, quite a lot. One better than the other, obviously. Um, but you just look at the cast, you're like, how the hell did they get it? But like you say, they use them so wisely, time wise. It's an hour and a half movie. You don't feel like er- any characters really shortchanged too much. Um, and it also is helpful when a few of them don't make it to the end of the movie. Yeah, some of them only like last like ten minutes. Um, I think the only one who's maybe shortchanged, as you said, is. Christina Hendricks's uh, as as, as yeah. Blanche. So uh, I looked into that. Yeah, I, I didn't look into it. I checked the IMDb trivia section, and one of the interesting things I saw was that they were trying to um, move into the. Uh, he has uh, he's the director says he was trying to move in a more of a reality arena for a character like that, where he actually auditioned porn stars for the role, and he couldn't get any of them to uh, you know have the necessary uh, acting talent. It says here, but then he was like, "Okay, cool, I'll get Christina Hendricks," as in like she'll be. So I think that role was probably written to be more on par with the likes of Cook in that you didn't really need a big name for it mm. but um, I think it's just adding Christina Hendricks to it just was like kind of fit it's great bill. casting but yeah she probably doesn't get into it much yeah like, it get much like to do um, so from there then we we meet the driver kind of deciding that he's going to help out Standard Gabrielle and in the book it's because he just kind of wants to do a job oh, okay because in the book they're not husband and wife anymore they've actually divorced so Standard and Irene oh. Okay. Irina in the book, originally a Latina character. Maybe the yeah. only maybe the most controversial thing about the film is that they recast, they cast a white actress and not 
um, an actual Latino actress. Yeah, it says that they were originally supposed to be a Hispanic couple, and then Kerry Mulligan was interested. They were like, ah, fuck it, be fine. <laughs> I don't think you get away with that these days, but like, um, yeah, probably one of the more controversial things about it. That and stomping, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, I, I love how that's always the bit that everyone wants to talk about in this It's film. just so visceral um it's just so like as in you can't and like i said about things earlier in that everything lasts longer than it should that's a scene that lasts way longer than it should um but i think it only, um, it, it only makes sense then to lead the audience on longer than to not talk about it on for a exactly. while um, um so then the driver's going to do that job with standard gabrielle and uh, who's meets that cook fella who's just like a real slimy like new york type like where's that awful like tracksuit oh yeah. he's an awful character and um, he says okay he's just like okay yeah 40k in this pawn shop it's out in the valley go get him and then that'll be that he'll be out his like uh irene and benicio will be out mm-hmm. um so yeah as i was saying actually the driver is doing this job specifically to get irene and benicio safe because yeah. um earlier we, uh, that bullet that cook gave to Benicio, and the driver kind of took that off him and said, "I'll keep it for you." Kind of symbolizing that he's gonna, he's willing to take a bullet for Irina and Benicio already. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, they do this job. They go out to the pawn shop, and very similar to the start of the film, um, the driver parks up, um, sits in the car, but now with the convicts, not the convicts, but Sandra Gabrielle and Blanche, they're gonna go in, um, and I think it's maybe my the most humorous bit in the film. Is when it's very tense. You don't know, like, they're going to do this job. It might be dangerous. And then he, like, puts his watch around the, the steering wheel. He's like, I'll see you in five minutes. <laughs> the way he's, like... Um, and then he's just like, I'll see it's you like, in It's four. like your dad waiting for you when you <laughs> when you, when you go into, like, I don't know, when you're at, like, I don't know, like, some practice, like, swim practice or rugby training. <laughs> yeah. like, I'll see you at this spot <laughs> yeah. in, ten, like, in 40 yeah. minutes' time. Don't be late. Um, Stan and Gabrielle's like, okay, I'll see you in four which isn't the best rebuttal, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and he goes in. And then, again, you're outside with the driver. It's tense in the car. And then this fucking Bentley just pulls up and parks alongside. And you're kind of like, what the fuck's up with the Bentley? Blanche comes out. No bother, opens the in car. The most impractical in. footwear you could probably do for a heist. Like, heels, yeah. six-inch heels. <laughs> yeah. Um lets her in and they're waiting together then and it's very similar to the it's actually very similar to the opening how like they're waiting on the second person that comes to the car and they're both kind of like clocking that Bentley being like what the fuck's going on here and then Standard strolls out he's all G walking out and then just like bang and I think Nicholas Winterman actually had a habit of doing this because I've, I've recently watched his show on Amazon Prime um, mm. a gunshot will just come out of fucking nowhere and will oh, blast really? your eardrums out um, so Standard is holding his neck uh, and then he gets gunned down. So he d- just fucking dies. Um, and <laughs> Which is, it's so unexpected because like, you think the first shot, you're like, oh fuck, he'll, he'll stumble over, he'll get <laughs> to the car. And they just make you think that for a sec because like you were saying, it mirrors the first uh, first heist uh, at the beginning and you're like, oh, will something be different this time? Will will um, the driver have to compromise his you know method in that like, if he is late, he's got to drive. Like, is that like, or is it because it's Bidicio's father, he's going to be like, I'll wait for him. Yeah. Um, but and and then you that first bullet, bullet shot comes in like, oh my god, is, is he going to get out of the car? Which is another thing that he says he'll never do, and, and yeah, it just he, makes he, you keep thinking. He does. He he like opens his car and kind of like 
waits at the door to see what's going on, which breaks his rule entirely. If- exactly. And you're like, is this, is what's going to, like, he'll get him into the car. And then you're like, no, he'll get <laughs> shot like four more times in the back. And you're just like, and because it's Oscar Isaac, it, you, you think he's going to make it to the end of the movie. And it's the first, it's the one of the first characters that probably dies in this movie. And it's first the least. Ex- character, yeah. Yeah. And it's the least, it's the one you least expect as well. And you're like, oh shit, anyone can die in this movie. Yeah. And it's only halfway through as well. Like that, that, that scene is halfway through the film. And Oscar Isaac has only been in it for 20 minutes maximum. Like, like probably like more like, like seven minutes of actual screen, <laughs> screen time, time as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he gets shot down and gunned down. And then after that, rivals the first scene of driving that, that's the thing for a film called drive when they actually do drive it's really well shot it's really visceral and it's i disagree oh okay <laughs> this is the first thing we'll disagree on i didn't like the i, I felt that there was me I, I understand the visceralness and i understand it was very close to the ground close to the car i just felt there was maybe one or two too many shots to try and convey a urgency to it i, d- I don't know that was something i'd written here that i felt like it was it was cutting a lot i thought but yeah, I think it doesn't cut as much as, like, to, to really go to the start, the Fast and Furious films, where it's, like, yeah. gear shift, sw- yeah. steering wheel, yeah. pedals, yeah. gear shift. It's not like that. Um, my only gripe with the, the, what the scene is that it, like, jumps locations very fast. Very, as in, like, he yeah. spins out of that car, that, that road, drives down, there's one cut of them, like, chasing each other, and then they're in a mountain <laughs> you're like okay uh. well that like I, I like I, I as, a, as a man of the world who's travelled I've actually been to LA and it's kind of like that but also so one like I love this movie for that reason because it reminded me when I was in mm. LA and it was nice nostalgia although I wasn't going around stomping on people's heads uh, that, not that I'll publicly admit anyway but I will um, but I, I where I think I suspect I didn't read this in IMDb why I suspect it went to the hills is it was probably cheaper to shoot yeah, during absolutely. the day in the hills than it would be to shoot at an intersection in the middle of LA that was my only like maybe that that could be a reason why they went for the hills instead yeah well they did say it was set in the, uh, in the valley so it makes sense um but I, I really love this chase. Again, there's kind of this weird jumping around, which I, I, I see every time I watch the film. Every time I watch the film, I go, oh yeah, and then they're in the mountains, and it kind of confuses me a little bit. But also, the Bentley ain't catching up with that fucking Chevy. <laughs> it's not. It's just yeah. not. That's really not realistic at all, especially when you have Ryan Gosling behind the wheel, like the driver's behind yeah. the wheel. He should not be getting chased down by this Bentley. In like juxtaposition to the first film or the first chase is that that's all set in the car where this one kind of comes outside the car and does yeah. the traditional weaving in between traffic and kind of spinning around and it, and what I really really liked is that it shows his stunt profession having an effect on his driving because we know he's a good driver like that's 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 we know that already but him like spinning the car around and like reversing and like keeping pace with the Bentley um really shows that like he's a master of of that and that he's not going to get beaten on this um, he spins round the Bentley can't do the same turn at all and just fucking like sm- slams a barrier um, which then cuts to the to the motel scene um, where again we see a very very cold driver and where that warmth was with Irene and Benicio is completely dissolved yeah, with the Blanche think- scene yeah, and what I what what I loved most about this movie is because it made me forget how cold he was, uh, because you see that at the beginning, and then you don't see it until the diner scene, 
and then you like you say you're like and I just love that I love that this movie for made me forget how cold he was at the beginning because that was my it's it's hard to forget a first impression and this movie like made me yeah. completely forget a, a first impression to the diner scene where you're vaguely reminded of it again and then you're like you say you're back to the warmth and the methodical nature and then this scene is you're just like oh this is exactly who the person I expected the, this movie to be about and haven't seen him since the opening scene yeah so they're in the motel he's they're kind of like camping out so they don't get like followed or just to hunker down while this all happens. On the news, we see that the standard standards murder has been like reported in the news. Mm-hmm. So we kind of see Irene's um, perspective, and he's like ringing uh, Benicio, being like, "She talked to the police," and like the driver's like, "I'll bring her back. I'll see you later." <laughs> um, and I love that she didn't shed a tear. I I, I lo- like that was a scene where you would expect the character. Yeah. On here, like, I that's what you'd expect. You'd see a single tear dropping or something like that, and I love that she, she just did looks fed not up. She just was fed up exactly, yeah. and it's and like just as I said earlier, it's what she's not saying, and I just, I really love that scene. Um, just one shot, and so then like he's talking to Benicio, he's kind of like, "Hey man, what's going on?" Like, uh, "Oh, he's t- okay, she's busy. I'll call her later." <laughs> Hangs up, and then kind of turns around, and goes like, "How much money was meant to be there?" Whatever. So they're meant to get like I think they're meant to get forty grand for standards yeah, debt. Ends up being a mill. And so then we find out that Blanche and Cook has set this whole thing up with the Bentley to rip them off, get all that money off them, um, and like kind of like step on Standard and the driver. But no one was meant to get killed. Blanche doesn't know anything about that. And then like it's just when he starts to like turn around and he starts fixing his glove. And the great thing is they have that brilliant sound effect of the stretching leather. And he's not yeah. even on screen, but you know exactly what he's doing. He's just like fixing it. And that's maybe where I think Christina Hendricks casting is really justified, is in that she looks horrified. She looks terrified mm-hmm. of what situation she's gone herself in. As a character, I believe that like Blanche has been in horrific places before, and we know she's a very damaged person, but she looks scared now. Yeah. Um, to the point where he like slaps her, and it's violence that is really shocking. It's, an, it's just a slap, but it's just like the power behind it and like the menace behind it and it's a show that he is willing he wants to save Irene and he wants to save Benicio he is willing to fucking beat up a woman to get information that he needs to get he's cold Um, and it's just kind of like him holding her down and going like you just got your you just got a fucking boy's father killed what's all the story is and so we find out that Cook set this whole thing up Um, so then he's like okay we're gonna go to Cook she goes to fucking uh, fix herself up after the fucking slap that she just got, um, to the point where we see that she was texting someone, um, and at that, at that point he knows that he's in like shit now. Something's gonna happen, and it's it's just like really nicely shot where he's on the bed and you just see a movement go across the window and you notice people here, and though we've had some violence with um, Gabrielle being beat up and him being shot down, like those are kind of violent. Yeah, it's not even on the same scale as what <laughs> no. happens to Blanche, where these are Cook's henchmen that do this, and yet Blanche is involved in this. But they're just like, no, bang, and then she, her head gets blown off. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, her like death masks yes, are in a, pre- a, a scene which we will we will get to. Um, and then the driver, who kind of just like ducks into the middle of the fucking room, puts the mattress up against the window and is like, I need to figure out a way to get out of this. And he just sees like our eyes just kind of darting across until he kind of just brings his heart rate down and kind of just breathes. 
and you hear this very vague like special effect of like a like a hand, you know that like I want to say you know when you parry a thing in Bloodborne or Dark Souls that like yeah. hammer hitting a, a an a anvil like that like thing yeah. him like thinking okay I need to do this and he just rushes into the bathroom and it's one of the explosions of violence that happens in these films like th- this film is tame in its content most of the time until it hits there's yeah. three or four times where it just explodes into violence where he just rips the curtain rail off like stabs him he's like there's a lot of blood the guy who shot christina like yeah and then or blanche sorry. in the bathroom yeah and he just turns around and blasts the other one away and he's like covered in blood and as you were saying, it lasts so long. They linger on him for like 45 seconds to a minute of him just like drenched in blood, just being like, I just did that. And he doesn't seem at all affected by what he just did. Yeah. Like a really, really violent act. Because it's in that shot when he realizes there's the movement of the curtain. And like you say, when he's breathing, it's all like, it's not like, there's no panic. There's no just uh, distress. It's all like, I do this, then I do this. It's so like, I'm going to lift the mattress up, then I'm going to make my way here, <laughs> look after this per. And it's so like, I'll just do that and I'll be safe then. And like, it's it's just, there's no like, it. none of it looks improvised, which I, th- which I think is so impressive in that like, how many times has he been in a motel room and the exact same situation has happened? <laughs> yeah. you know I mean, it all like, he, I, I'm going to like carry out this and that, I, I'll be fine then. And he yeah. does it and it's just like, okay, job done. He's like, on. he knew he was going to rip the curtain rail down and put it through that guy's chest when he went into it, the room. <laughs> but, it, it, but it doesn't look like, it's no, there's no like shot where he like looks to it, grabs it. It's like, I'm looking at the guy, <laughs> Kurt, like it's instantaneous and I just, like I don't know if maybe that's poor stunt coordination that like he's supposed <laughs> to maybe play it up like he doesn't know what he's going to do but it, like he looks as if like, I think in like his stuff. cold, like calculated turn and shotgun, like he literally does turns and bang like it's not even like turn aim bang or anything like that or we yeah. see a shot we don't even see the guy who got shot we just hear him fall over <laughs> we don't need to we just know that he's like so calculated he's so methodical he knew he was going to be there and just shot him um so at this point then he has the money so he wants to kind of just give it back he doesn't want it and then what's, I, I love the little scene where he's like in the car kind of getting fixed up from like uh, getting kind of shot at one point in the motel room and Shannon's like hey I can I can have the money for you I'll keep it don't worry you're all safe and he's just like shut up he just wants to give it back to where we see him kind of threaten cook um, in the strip club um, with the hammer um, and it's the sound effect of the hammer it, like that's the thing the style of this film is heads and tails above everything else even like the way that it's shot in that mirrors where all the like women yeah. I would say needlessly topless but yeah. it is a strip club, but they do set up as a strip club. But all the mirrors and all those like those like ring lights around all the, the mirrors. It's more that it's more that some of the strippers stay and some of them go, and you're just like they all could have left if like they don't all have yeah. to stay. Yeah, and and the fact that they're so unbothered by yeah. what's well, going I, on around them. I I took it as like so. Well, yeah, it's great when they just he comes in with a hammer. There's no like I, like he just comes in. Where's cook dressing room? And that is like where's that? Like just tell me now runs in sees cook doesn't even make sure it's him not even like say hey cook what's just goes in hammer straight to hand and it's like maybe like i don't know like four or five shots straight away and then he starts the interrogation um and it's just like and i think that some of the strippers stayed because they were like oh he's a dick i am staying for this (laughs) he is getting what he deserves um which then the driver force feeds him the bullet which i i like it's kind of like a poetic thing where cook ends up taking this bullet because he was meant to kill Irene and, and Benicio and, and, and Gabrielle and then the driver took it and was like no I'll take it and he's like no wait no Cook will fucking die 
um, yeah. to which we find out he does. He is the one who dies. Um, he finds out that it's Nino. He rings Nino. And that's where they first interact in a crime sense. And uh, Nino doesn't know that it's the driver talking that he met in the, in, in, in the shop. And I, I kind of like how we've seen the driver be very professional in this crime world. He has been very like precise with everything he's done. And he's going, I have all your money. That's cool. I can give it back to you. And he's like, your partners are okay with that? He's like, I don't have any partners. He's like, did you tell this to anyone? He's like, no, I didn't say it to anyone. Just you and me. He's like, you're not very good at this, are you, kid? <laughs> <laughs> and he just hangs up. Um, that's when he goes back to the apartment. And that's where we get to the point of the film, which I think everyone who sees it remembers. And if you want to take yeah. it away. <laughs> oh, I do want to take it away because it's all full. Of- yeah, so th- what's great is, um, so he goes back to... I don't know, does he go back to the apartment and then run into uh, Irene? Or does he kind of seek out Irene? I can't remember. He seeks out Irene to tell her about Standard's job and why oh, Standard okay. died. Because on the news, it's it's broadcast that Standard was the only perpetrator and there was no money yes. taken. So we figure out it's all kind of a ploy. Like, they've all been set up on this on this thing. Um, yeah, and it's and it's great because, yeah, so they have that conversation where they're trying to... Where she just, I think she just slaps him straight away then. Um, and, and she's just done with him. And it's it's so interesting because... I just find like she slaps him but she's not angry at him uh, that's how I took it she was just like I just need to take this anger out on someone I'm not actually I'm just angry at the situation that's what I took from it anyway and then they they kind of they ha- they go into this elevator there's this guy standing in the elevator again the shot is maybe one second too long and you're just think oh wait is he someone and then he, you realise he's the person that Nino uh, sent after that phone Nino call Nino sends after and it's and then we because at the moment you don't really understand how Nino knows it's the driver yet, but we figure out later on why that is. And they they, they he drivers in there. He spots him with the gun, and I don't know if it's like. And then he spots him with the gun, and then he goes back. Um, the driver spots the henchman with the gun. He goes and kisses Irene. Then, and her husband has just died. Uh, she's been told this today. And, <laughs> it's happened, today. but it, it's happened, and and you don't know is he like, is he trying to like play for like stall for time is he trying to like make this seem like an act like they're a couple and it's like oh well i'm like i can't shake this guy down in front of his missus like like you don't know if he's a distraction but or if it's just how the driver feels and he's like i'm about to do what i took from it was like i'm about to do something awful and you're never going to see me the same way again so i want to like i want to kiss you for you to know for i want to i want you to kiss the man that you think you know yeah and the man i'm trying to be but I'm about to stomp this motherfucker's head and you're not going to like me after that. And yeah, so the, the lift goes down. They get to the ground floor and he, there's just this tussle. They fight. He, the driver gets the henchman on the ground and just stomps his head to mush. And it's great because you don't see it initially. You just see him stomping and you're like, oh my God, calm down, calm down. And then then you see <laughs> the mush head and you're just like, whoa, no, I didn't think you'd see it. And it's great because, again, IMDb trivia section to the rescue in that apparently that scene was supposed to be longer and not as edited, but apparently it was severely edited because the, raid- the Raiders were like, the ratings board was just like, no, you yeah, can't that'd have be, that. That'd be NC-17 if you see that. There's a lot of discussion about this scene because this is, I think Nicholas Winding Refn described this scene as the heart of the entire film. As in, he tries to put a heart scene in nearly everything he does. And this is okay. the point. Because it is the talking point of this film, I think. This is really the scene that people remember. And and the way he turns around and kisses Irene, the like lights fade and the music kind of swells in. Normally, we're used to this kind of like thumping synth like soundtrack and score. But this is kind of like angelic and kind of breezy and kind of like 
what's going on here and then it, like the light all goes golden and then it then it goes back to normal and then the violence ensues so people kind of are like is this what's in his head does he actually kiss her or does he immediately just go for him and then he oh, wishes okay, yeah. i don't agree with that because that's lame um, and i don't think that's <laughs> true and um, i just yeah. wanted to acknowledge it but what's really interesting about him beating the guy's head in is Nicholson referent um contacted Gaspar Noe and I don't know yes. if you've seen Irreversible I, I've, I I looked into this guy after I'd seen this scene was influenced by him and uh, yeah that seems about right <laughs> yeah the thing is where this film cuts away and like there isn't I have seen an unedited the, the original edit of this elevator scene I think I've seen it have somewhere have you? it's somewhere on a DVD somewhere that I've seen and it's it's just it's just more hits basically, and and it shows okay. a bit more because the film is like a second and then it's off. It's, it's but yeah. it, you remember it's like it's it's a second too long. <laughs> it's immediately ingrained on your skull forever, like yeah. you immediately remember it. Um, but it's it, definitely it, ingrained on your man's skull. Yeah, if he has one. Um, <laughs> um, Irreversible was the Gaspar Noah film that like he needed inspiration from because in that scene, the a similar thing happens to one character where a fire extinguisher replaces the foot, and they don't cut away from it. It, it they do show the full thing so it's really funny how like the way that directors work that he's just fucking rang up gas for no way i was like hey uh by any chance do you know how you did that fucking skull crushing bit because i'm i'm gonna do something similar in my film and i'd like to know how to do it uh make it look <laughs> nice um so after that then irene leaves the elevator and this is the last scene that they physically share with each other they do have a phone call later on but mm. she's just standing outside the elevator looking in and like his look when he turns around, like he just oh. tur- he has like a hunchback and he's like turned around and he's like shaking in his head and like he's sweaty and his blood all over like his end of his torso. Um, and I saw it being kind of related to how like a werewolf kills, like how like he just turned into a monster and just like ravaged this dude. And that's what he looks yeah. like at the end. Because he does look like a monster. Like it, it, he- I, I- I have it written down and he's like, it's like the, I don't know which one's which, but it's like the Mr. Hyde to the Dr. Jekyll, as in it's a completely, it's a monster. And like you're saying about being the heart, like it's, it's great because it's the most violent he is in the movie, but it's the closest mm. Irene has been in danger. And I think that's like, isn't it like he he will carry out violent acts to protect Irene. And when danger is closest to him, that's when things get most violent. So yeah, like I think that's when you see the true heart and the true motivation of this character in that it's like protect Irene and Benicio at all costs. Yeah, um, it is. I've, that's why I love this film so much is because the first opening scene is so great. The other car chase, the heist, this scene in particular, the soundtrack, it's just so perfect. And I think the elevator scene is one of the most perfect scenes I've seen put together. Yeah. Especially when it's just in a contained, it's just a box, that's all it is. And it's so simple. Yeah, it tells such a story just within that tiny few minutes um, and then we find that he went, he goes to Shannon then because obviously he's like why the fuck did they show up in my apartment how the fuck did they know that I was there um, and then we find out that Shannon was talking to Bernie who relayed this whole information yeah. to Nino and that's kind of how it came out that they figured it out that way um, the driver is pissed off at Shannon because not because he's in danger. Yeah. He actually doesn't seem to care about that. <laughs> he just seems to care that they know about Irene now because Shannon, obviously, being <laughs> kind of the dim-witted character, yet lovable but dim-witted, um, told Bernie and everyone about Irene as well. Um, so he tells him to flee. Um, unfortunately for Shannon, um, Bernie catches up with him. And I know that the head-stomping scene is 
really uncomfortable. Shannon's death, I don't like. It's so it's so gross. I can't. It's it's not even it's it, it is gross. So what happens is Bernie just like gets like a like a switchblade and like just slices it. Oh, sorry, yeah, it's a straight edge. I know, he, like he has a load of knives. He goes into his like knife box. Box of knives. Yeah, I couldn't remember which one he used, but he just goes straight down his like forearm, the inside of his forearm, and just cuts. And it goes. You could see it goes through his shirt, and then all of like his skin peels back. And he honestly says like, and it's, I yeah, this, I agree. This 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 kill is probably it's so strange. It's so, it's full of heart and so heartless at the same time. <laughs> in the sense that he's killing his friend because him and Bernie are good friends Shannon and Bernie are like you get mm. the vibe they're good friends they they kind of care for each other as much as they can in like the mob business but like he kills him but in the most painful it's painful but it's the quickest it'll happen it'll like it's all going to be do- like it'll happen so fast that Bernie won't feel it but like literally what happens is Bernie slits his slits his wrist and Shannon's trying to think of like what the fuck do I do and Bernie's like it's done it's done there's nothing you do it's over yeah and it's just such a like you're gonna die and those the la- like there's nothing you can do and it's just I, I just found it so horrifying like, and we had just seen the head stomp but like this was like at least head stomp guy that that ended for him. <laughs> like, but like, <laughs> like the Brian Cranston's Shannon, like he just has to bleed out and it's just horrifying and there's nothing you can do. And it's just this, he's trapped in this garage bleeding out and he's done for. And it's, and he dies alone. I just, it was so sad. Yeah. It's sad as well. Cause he dies off screen as well. Like yeah. we don't actually see him die. And um, we only find the driver, um, finding him, finding him. Um, and that kind of sets him on, like, though Irene was, like, in danger for a second, as you said, the Shannon kill seems like the one that enrages him a lot. Mm. And he's like, okay, I want to fucking deal with these fuckers now. So he goes back to his, like, <laughs> I love how he goes back to, like, the set and just walks on. And he's, like, yeah. covered in blood and no one says anything Yeah, he doesn't to change him. his jacket since, like... Uh, since the since the motel he has the same jacket on it's still covered in blood and he just seems to get away with it um, he gets the stunt mask that he wears on one of the stunts that we see at the start of the film um, and then just drives to Nino's pizzeria and that was sorry, um, that was the scene where we see the, the death like mock up like the fake oh, yeah, heads the of Christina Hendricks' Blanche because I didn't I just saw the three heads in the back and there's like three actresses with like big wounds on the side of their head I was like oh yeah it's a stunt it's a stunt trailer it's probably like you know all props in there but then you realise they're the actual props from the movie it just made me <laughs> yeah. love like the, the details of this movie so much more I was like oh that's gas yeah so he, he drives down to uh, Nino's which I think if anything this is the weirdest scene because yeah. he the, he doesn't need to put that mask on <laughs> <laughs> but I've kind of not developed a theory but kind of like kind of understood that this whole thing is that he's becoming a superhero and he wants to be a hero and then we even have that with the, a real a real hero song playing a couple times throughout the film that he wants to end up being the hero even though he knows he can't be because he just fucking caved the guy's head in in front of in some in front of someone he can't really be considered a superhero but he puts on his own mask and and becomes a hero that he needs to be and um, to take down you know and um, i i Though it really adds nothing to the film, in my opinion. He, like, when he walks up to the pizzeria window and looks in and sees they're, like, having a party and Nino is, like, wetting himself, laughing, just, like, laughing lows. And the woman next to him is so disengaged and does not give a shit about him. <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. He, the driver just goes back to his car and waits for him to leave. But it's just such a, like, a slow-motion, like, stylish thing. Yeah, I, I think where, where I was kind of sitting with that scene was either he'll walk up to the door and he'll burst through the door and there'll be a mm. shoot up or something like that. 
or uh, he'll drive through the window because it was a perfect pizzeria that it was a full glass window you could drive through it. So I was developing my theories. I was like, oh, what's going to happen? Um, but then you realise the driver is methodical and the only time he hasn't been methodical was in the elevator where that was like a, a like a, an act of, you know, passion <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Whereas like, it would, it would be against his character type to go in. He never goes in. He's always in the car. So of course he's going to retreat and go, right, I'll wait for my moment. Do you know what I mean? And, but that, it made me think, is he going to burst through the door? Um, just to go back to your whole superhero thing, I want to mention it here before I forget, um, in that he's always wanted to do a superhero, Ryan Gosling, uh, superhero movie, Ryan Gosling, uh, to the point where he's approached to do uh, Batman v Superman uh, in 2016. Oh, right. But he has a thing in his contract that says he will not do sequels. Uh, so that's why he didn't sign on to that. But he says that this was kind of his superhero movie. Uh, this, I think this it was like he wanted he wanted people to be able to have a, co- a Halloween costume of him, as in like people could dress oh, up as him. No way. So people could dress up with the white like uh, jacket and the and the oh, that's cool. and the yeah, um, that is cool. Yeah, um, I know, yeah that the, the, the no sequel rule is like my least favorite thing about Ryan Gosling as well because he's been in so many films that deserve sequels. Quick, quick fire, quick fire round. What would you want to see sequels of Ryan Gosling for? Mine is well, the, the nice gr- guys. I was gonna say the nice guys. The nice guys is one of my favorite films as well, and that's the thing about Ryan Gosling. He he's, he's in four of my top ten. I want to say. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I want to see another Blade Runner film with him. Yeah. Um, nice guys, as you said. La La Land doesn't need a doesn't need a sequel, but I mean, I take one. La La Land too. Like what is yeah. it? That he tries to like learn heavy metal. He tries to appropriate a new musical genre. Flow, <laughs> flow, flow, Fland. When he goes to Florida, and he tries to do uh, what's it? What's the guy who sings uh, Margaritaville? <laughs> I don't know that he tries. Oh to... God, yeah, I don't know. Him, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I he'll never do a I, sequel to this anyway, which I which I'm very happy about. I don't think it needs a sequel no. at all. Um, he just drives into Nino's car, and I feel like he does that because he sees Nino. And he's like, Nino's a big dude. He's played by Ron Perlman. Like yeah. he's a giant man. So he's like, I can't take him on one to one. The guy in the elevator was easy. This this guy is huge and he's a gangster. Um, so he drives into him, injures him, um, and then there's like a really lovely bit of score work from Cliff Martinez. Uh, apparently the score by Cliff Martinez was um, one of the last things added to the film. Originally, oh, wow. the guy who works for the Chromatics, he's in the Chromatics and Desire, he was in a lot of the, f- the songs in the film. He kind of created the soundtrack. But he also wrote an original score um, for the film, which went unused, and then they, they used Cliff Martinez's. So in this scene, we hear the song Rubber Mask, I think is, name, okay. is the name of it. And it's just this like pounding, like, rever- like reverb, like... And it's just a driver like walking down the beach to just fucking drown, you know, in the sea. And it's such a, it's just like, it's only like two colors, as in like it's only like really blue and white is what we see because it's on the sea, yeah, uh, the beach. Because he crashes into Nino and then like, he stumbles down a hill. All of a sudden, it's one of those things where they're in like the diner, then they're in the hills, now they're on the beach because uh, Nino has been like knocked out of the car and he strolls towards the beach and he tries to escape the driver by heading to the ocean. I don't, <laughs> I didn't really get that bit, but I think people read into that in a sense that we later, I think it's the scene after this, we hear about the frog and the scorpion, yeah, um, yeah. story, uh, yeah, and so just... people believe that Nino is the. Uh, the frog um, and ends up drowning well the people's people are confused about people don't agree on this on the internet who is the scorpion who is the frog 
I think people assume that the cr- the criminals are the scorpions. Okay, well, well I, uh, so what I'll kind of briefly do is like, I'll explain the story anyway, uh, oh, yeah, just for anyone who doesn't know what it is. So basically, it's this it's a fable about a scorpion and a frog, and the frog agrees to carry a scorpion across the river if the scorpion promises not to sting the frog. The scorpion does promise, but halfway across the river, he stings the frog anyway, saying it's my nature, and they both drown. So. Where I, I'd read it on IMDb, like I have done mm. for all of my research, uh, which I think is interesting in that, like, the driver is the frog of the story because he carries and drives the criminals, the scorpions, around in his car, but is in- inevitably dragged into their destructive world, i.e. stung, leading to everyone's downfall. And the driver's jacket has a scorpion on the back, just as the frog carried the scorpion on its back. But then where people disagree with that okay maybe okay saying saying Nino as the frog was wrong I'll I'll, I'll, I'll take that back yes I'll, is that, I'll take that one victory <laughs> what I'll say is that people don't agree what the driver is because it makes more sense that he's the frog because he has a scorpion on his back and that yeah. makes sense what you just said but the violence that he has he wants to love Irene he wants to be with Irene that's his like frog side but it's in his nature to be a criminal to drive yeah. to kill to be violent to drown Nino, as in like that's that's why people think he's the scorpion as well. And then he has it. The thing is, you could say, oh, he has a scorpion on his back. He's the frog. Yeah. But his scorpion on his back could just symbolize that he's the scorpion. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's a bit of both. Like I think he is both. I think he is carrying he is his the, his own burden, i.e., the scorpion on his back. Like it, like I was saying earlier about the Doctor Jekyll Mister Hyde thing. He he's both. Yeah, I, I I do agree with the fact that he is both. Um. But yeah, I think the reason they set that at the beach is so that they can kind. I think because they can kind of just tie in that fable for good. Like <laughs> it's a, bit, like, it's a okay. bit of a stretch, but okay, yeah, that's fair. And um, that's literally drowning the scorpion. Okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, but we aren't done then, and this no. is where I think the subtlety of the film, kind as in like, the film can be very subtle with not really telling you what the people are thinking only exchanging looks mm-hmm. and kind of just a mood but then it can sometimes be so like on the nose but because everything else was so subtle it doesn't it doesn't jump out at you as much as it would do in a normal film mm-hmm. but then the driver rings up uh bernie and basically tells him about the fable who's the last the... person alive pretty much the, it's just the, last the driver can, yeah in, in 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 the criminal sense you yeah. consider irene is still kind of in the picture yeah. and bernie kind of uses that against the driver um, but he basically tells him about the fable of the frog and the scorpion and I kind of love that because it you could have been so Nicholas winning reference could have been so brilliant and gone you know what I've kind of implanted all these seeds about the scorpion and the frog I'm just going to leave it there but at the very end going like do you ever hear about the story about the frog and the scorpion yeah. <laughs> like um, just just screaming at the audience going this is what we're going <laughs> <Yeah>. with <laughs> um, so they they decide to meet up then um, because Bernie wants the money the driver wants to get rid of the money and get out of it as, as much as you can and get Irene safe. Um, so the two of them share a conversation in this like Chinese restaurant. This is like the culmination of the film because Bernie's basically saying, where's the money? It's out in the car. Okay, we'll go get it. Bernie's like, you can't get out of this. This is it for you now. You will not be able to live a normal life. Irene is safe now. She She's going to be G. Um, but for you, you're going to be looking over your shoulder the entire time. You won't be able to live a normal life, basically. And what I thought was interesting was uh, Bernie's like, look, nobody knows about the girl but me. So look, once this is done between the two of us, we're good. And I love that he literally makes the mistake that Nino gives out to drive the driver about making earlier on in the movie. He's like, don't tell me that you're the only one that knows this information. Because what happens is they go out to the car and Bernie then 
sh- uh, like stabs the driver in the in, in the stomach and it's just this like nearly like this rage of just like oh, I can't believe you've had this money and just stabs him no precision no accuracy and the driver just gets stabbed and he's just like okay well you've now told me that and again it's that methodical thing okay you've told me that if you die Irene's safe so I'm just going to kill you and he literally I think he just goes like straight for the neck and it's just like yeah. it goes from this like blind raging stab to a oh I've just kill you it's the same thing with the curtain rails like i just stab neck done you're gone like but what's really cool about the, that the whole ending scene is that it's very it's it's inner cut between the conversation and that as in like we're seeing them agree that they're gonna like this is it once this is done we're both out and it's all g and like but it's intercut with them like stabbing each other and like killing each other and kind of ending it for real it does go a bit artistic then by shoot like shooting into the shadow, not showing the two die. They just or the, the two stabbing each other, just to, just showing the shadows. Yeah, um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. It is. It's an interesting way of doing it. Um, I think that was generally just to avoid it being a bit boring and them just stabbing each other, because um, we've seen so much of that throughout the film. Um, and then that kind of then wraps up all this one thing i just want to say but just about the, the last scene as well just very quickly which was the lights on the driver because i noticed whenever he was in like during a lot of the heist at the beginning and any sort of stuff set at night there was like this blue kind of shade on him which is like mm. chill cool like he's in control he's calm and then i think after the motel or after the stompy stomp scene uh there's like all the red lights on him and it's just this rage and I, again like i don't i know obvious stuff perhaps but it's something i enjoyed it's a bit like the radio being on at the beginning i found where it's you're not it's not that hard to find but it's an interesting addition to the scene so with the red lights on him and then at the last scene it's like it's green and it's kind of like a sense of like the movie's done it's like he's free in a way and I, I don't know, I, I just noticed that there was three distinct scenes of three distinct colours on his face, and I kind of liked Yeah, I, th- I think, well, uh, firstly, I do think uh, the cinematographer Newton Thomas Siegel has to be kind of commended, because it is a beautiful looking film, and it was nominated for a good few awards. What strikes me very interesting about the whole thing is, though, about the whole aesthetic of Drive, is that it doesn't, it, it, it is stylistic with its, it, its lighting, and like, it uses the LA, like, night's scape. And the like evening sun and stuff like that, and maybe like this, like even especially in, like the strip club scene, like it uses very vibrant lights. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't very neon or like neo noir in that sense. It's neo noir in its subject matter, but and like, but what came out of it is that I think everyone remembers the film as being neon soaked, drenched film, when it's not really at all. And and I think that's weirdly one of its main influences is because of that second risky business title yeah. drive in the neon pink everyone thinks oh yeah the film's all neon and pink and all that it didn't, ha- <laughs> it didn't help when he went on to make a movie called the neon demon okay like so yeah. i would think that's exactly. his shtick yeah and even then um, the film after this only god forgives he's <laughs> drenched in it yeah <laughs> um i think that's he must have been like people kind of seem to like the little bits of that in drive so we'll just do the whole film yeah um but the film is, is gorgeous and and I think we did jump over one very important scene before the end of this, I oh. think, um, where it's the call between the driver and Irene. Oh, yeah. And he calls her up, uh, practically saying, knowing you was the best part of my entire life, knowing you, Benicio. Uh, I can't come back. You're safe, though. Um, and goodbye. And it, 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 I and I fucking hate that because it's... it's it, I really like those two together. I think they're actually, like, they do, like genuinely like love each other and have great chemistry together and it's just such a shitty thing that the the driver's nature and the environment that he was dragged into 
completely cuts him off from being able to like be with Irene. Yeah. And I don't normally buy into soppy like couple shit. So I think because it was presented in this way, I care a lot more. Yeah. Um, and even even the shot before, really, the last shot is Irene going up to his hotel room or yeah, his room and knocking. Yeah. And then not getting any answers. Because you don't back. know. You, you think as maybe as a as the watcher, like, oh, maybe he went back. Maybe he went back to grab something and they'll see each other one last time. And then the next shot is him in a car and you're just like, oh, he's never going back. And then we kind of hold, the, the camera just holds on him. We know he's been stabbed and we know he's like, he's hurt. Um, but we don't know if he's dead because he's like, just like glazed over eyes just sitting there. And you're like, yeah. is he dead? Yeah. And the, it's a good 15 seconds. Again, of, like, going far too longer than it should. <laughs> yeah. But no, he kind of just revs up his car, drives off, leaving Bernie with the like stack of money where the song, A Real Hero fades in very slowly. And yeah. Kind of hear the hint of it. And then um, it kicks off. Then we him just driving into the night and that's, really the end of the film and and i think it 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 does lend it technically lends itself to a sequel as in it yeah. open it leaves itself open-ended open-ended but nicholas when the reference i think said himself the film the film's end is so imperfect it will never get a sequel yeah <laughs> i think that's like so like funny that he's like yeah, everyone wants a sequel, and it it it, it easily could be done. Yeah, but no, <laughs> I wouldn't want to see one. I I I think it was too, too imperfect, too perfectly imperfect, um, of an ending to 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 in my in my opinion ruin with another movie. I they could write the best script ever. I just don't. I know I know people always say they're like oh like who cares if a sequel comes out? You still have the original one. I'm like that's true, but it's yeah, it's not knowing think, what happens, which is one yeah, of the best parts it, of the it, ending. It, it, especially because I think it's just such an amalgam of so many things going right. Like, literally everything was pulled off correctly, like casting, acting, mm. soundtrack. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. and like You wouldn't be able to replicate it. And I think that Nicholas Winding Refn has tried to replicate yeah. it in his other films. And his, okay, his Amazon Prime show, which I haven't finished yet, but my God, he's really stretching. And, and he's really testing again? my patience. Um, Too Old to Die Young. Okay. Again, it has all that style and that neon and that, that like, People don't say a lot, but they look at each other a lot. It just it, it it's just not drive, and and I think drive really is the culmination of all of that working. And mm. um, so I don't think he would be able to do a sequel. I I I really think that no one would be able to make a sequel correctly. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's why it's the best movie ever made. <laughs> ever made. Yeah, and like, um, and yeah, and I think it's interesting, and I don't know, it's 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 hard to say, but I always think that like, or one of the things I think about it is like, I can't imagine it being, I can't imagine another director doing it. I definitely can't imagine another actor doing it because like Ryan Gosling, I, I know him from like, he's in crazy, stupid love. He's in Blade Runner. He's in the nice guys. And he's such range. Whereas this movie, I was just watching. I was like, I, I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen any of the movie. I know he has other movies like this, not, not like this, where he kind of plays the same character, mm. but I haven't seen anything like it. And I'm just like, I was, I was discussing it with my flatmates. And they were like, yeah, he's just kind of doesn't really have a, purpose and he doesn't really say a lot and he kind of just stares and I'm like yeah like that's what Clint Eastwood made a career off of and I'm like <laughs> there's very few actors that can convey that and even the small things of like and it only became so noticeable so I, I, I'll wrap this up eventually but one of the things <laughs> I love where it's like you don't you, you don't really notice how soft-spoken he's being until Oscar Isaac comes in and it's so harsh with his words <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's just such an energy that you, he's disturbing the the peace of this movie and I just, I can't imagine, I don't, I don't, I maybe I'm, it's so fresh in my head, I just can't think of another actor doing it, which just, again, I, I'll, 
I don't know. I don't know where it ranks in my all-time top movies, but it's definitely one of the one of the best movies I've seen in a while. Yeah, and I think it, it's a testament to the director having faith in his cast as well, because apparently it took ages to write. I had a few drafts, and it changed a lot. And when they went into production, they only had like an eighty-one page shooting script, which oh, wow. isn't that long. Like <laughs> which is why they just left so many pauses. <laughs> um, but apparently there was dialogue between Irene and and the driver, loads of it. Yeah. But they just refused to be like, no, we wouldn't say that. And like, I feel like we should just like, basically, I don't want to act today, and I don't want to say my lines. I think <laughs> stare at each other for a little while. Um, but no, they were just like having the balls, just be like, okay, we won't use that dialogue. We'll just convey it through movement and uh, and looks. Yeah. And then what's really funny is that Brian Cranston saw that they were doing that, and he was like. Uh okay, I'll talk loads and I'll ab lib loads of dialogue just so it fills all those gaps. Um and at least someone is talking and has and that's why I think Shannon actually looks like a loud mouth and like one of those energetic characters when really he is just because the other two main leads are so subdued yeah. <laughs> that Shannon looks crazy, yeah. Um one of the things I want to get your opinion on as well, just before we wrap up, is the old Oscar and Golden Globe nominations for this movie, or lack thereof. Um, it was only it was only nominated for best sound editing. It was, it was sound editing Oscars. for the Oscars, and the only performance that was nominated for Golden Globes was Albert Brooks uh, for Bernie, which is deserved. Which is Something deserved, but like George Clooney got nominated for The Descendants instead of Ryan Gosling for this movie. <laughs> God damn it! Yeah, that is one thing that the like. Is, is very weird about this film is that it has such an acclaim like it has 92% of Rotten Tomatoes yeah. only 7.4 on IMDb but I think that's only because people IMDb's probably watched fucked. it going I fucking hate IMDb for yeah I think it's because like, people it. are like oh it's a violent action film it's not it's not um, it only got nominated for Best Sound Editing at the 84 Academy Awards and it only got and as you said the Golden Globes Albert Brooks was the only person nominated but I think that kind of sets up the film as a whole in the sense that it's 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 loved by <sighs> art house cinema lovers rather than the general audience and that's not to discredit people who like it on either side that's that's not that's not what i'm saying but it nicholas winning reference won best director at Cannes for this film and then he did he got no other nominations at any of the at, at any of the, the the more prestigious larger events but yeah one thing that has to be talked about is the influence of the, the score and the soundtrack as i said earlier that um, Jewel from the Chromatics was meant to do a soundtrack with Cliff Rantidis took over but the soundtrack that he create, created not the score but the actual soundtrack there's no other film soundtrack that is like it and it, it's and, and it kind of set up the, the, the 2010s to have very similar soundtracks like it as in all this techno rhythmic synthwave soundtrack like The Guest has it and other films like that Um if anything has just become more iconic the more the years have gone on and I cannot wait in like 30 years time to see what people think of the film I really can't I really do think it's a timeless film right um, Daniel you've, we, what we've done is 30 years time to this date we're getting you back on the podcast <laughs> that definitely will have fallen to pieces by then and we're going to record an episode and we're going to find out what you still think of it Daniel I look forward to it thank you thank you so much for coming on this has been great I've really I've really enjoyed this this is probably going to be one of the longest ones but I I, I had a great time um, understand uh, understanding your take on the movie and stuff so so again thank you thank you very much for coming on thank you for having me I, I, a pleasure anytime <laughs> <laughs> no you say that with such intent like I'll do this tomorrow I'll do this yeah man yeah raw uh, anything uh, uh, audience any fucking film I probably <laughs> have seen it so 
I'll do it again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, um, I suppose also just a thank you to everyone who's listened. Thanks to people who've listened to any of the other ones. Uh, if you want to know when any more are coming out, you can follow us at, at Reeling of the Peers on Instagram. You can also follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. I've decided to do a new thing. If you leave a review on Apple, that's good. I'll do a fun thing. I haven't decided because the episode that mentions it for the first time technically comes out the day after we record this. So I haven't decided what the fun thing is. So leave a review. I'll do a fun thing. Undecided. TV. Uh, but again thank you very much for listening we really hope you enjoyed and goodbye